You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, I'm really excited to share with us this morning. Maybe excited is the wrong word, actually, because it's a little bit of a a challenging uh, thought from Jesus. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been in a series called A New Humanity. And it's really talking about this idea of what does it look like when Jesus grabs a hold of your life? When God comes into your life and makes your heart his home, when he starts living and and operating in and through you, when you believe the good news, how does it begin to transform you and change you? And Jesus in this sermon, uh, he starts out with these statements called the Beatitudes, and, uh, and the Beatitudes, really, they, they're these blessed statements. You've probably heard them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in these statements, uh, he is beginning to describe what it looks like and what a Jesus person looks like. Uh, and, and so he talks about the fact that they... Be- begin to mourn over the things of this world, and they they begin to hunger and thirst after that which is right. It says that they become merciful. Their hearts become pure. Uh, They become poor in spirit, meaning they begin to recognize their deep need for God. And today, what we're going to see is that he concludes the Beatitudes with what I would describe as probably the most challenging one. It's probably the one that we least desire. I think on the other ones, even though maybe they don't feel natural all the time to act like and and, uh, live like these qualities, this last one we kind of go, Jesus, could you just stop there and move on to salt and light? Uh, And uh, and yet, here it is today. And so I want to read for us um, from Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning of Jesus' sermon, probably the greatest sermon ever preached and heard And uh, we're going to start reading in verse 1, just because it's our last time in the Beatitudes, and we're going to read to 12. And so, if you are willing and you are able, would you please stand uh, in honor of God's word? We believe these are some of the most important words you're going to hear this morning, and that is why we stand. And so, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. In sync are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In sync are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In sync are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In sync are those who hunger and thirst for right relationships, for they will be satisfied. In sync are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In sync are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In sync are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And in sync are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. This is the word of the Lord. You can sit down. 
See what I mean? <laughs> the first eight, we're like, or first seven, we're like, yeah, that's just that's so wonderful, right? It just sounds so good. That's the kind of person I want to be. And suddenly, Jesus drops this bomb, and it's a double bomb. Like, it's, it's a double, right? He doesn't even just do it one time. He's like, blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom. And then he's like, and you know, just to make sure you understand, and it's clear, also like, blessed when people mock you and lie about you and say evil things things about you. You should be glad. You should be so happy about it. He doubles down on this beatitude. Why? Because it's likely, as the hearers were hearing it, and as the readers read it, and even as you're hearing it today, there's a temptation in our heart to want to just pass it by. And just go, yeah, I like that other stuff. Let's move on to, to what you got to say next. But this is a reality for followers of Jesus. This is what begins to happen in our hearts and lives. We become poor in spirit. We become people who mourn. We become people who are pure in heart. And yes, if we become all of those things, and we become in sync, you probably noticed that in brackets because most of your translations will say blessed, but we kind of felt that word wasn't the most helpful to describe what Jesus is meaning. When we become in sync with the ways of Jesus, you know what's going to happen? We're going to face persecution. Persecution for righteousness' sake. It's actually interesting. Uh, as we've read through these Beatitudes, and if you've been here for every week or most weeks, here's what you'll begin to notice. Is that there begins to become a gap between Jesus' people and other types of people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a, a German Christian theologian. He was a pastor. He was a martyr. He was actually part of the inner circle who was trying to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Uh, and, uh, and he writes these words. He says, With every beatitude, the gulf is widened between disciples and the people. And their call to come forth from the people becomes increasingly manifest. Bonhoeffer is describing what begins to happen. As we've, even as we've been preaching through these Beatitudes, there's a gap, there's a gulf between true followers of Jesus and those who do not follow him. The picture that Jesus paints of what it means to be this new human or this new humanity begins to look far more extraordinary with every statement. And we are only nine verses into his sermon. There's 101 more verses to go. Today we're going to cover three. And I think that the, this gap actually becomes a profound chasm as we read this last beatitude. In sync are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. For theirs is the kingdom. I think why... Um, this one feels so unnatural is because nobody wants to be persecuted. <laughs> nobody wants to face suffering and challenges and difficulties. In fact, as you hear this, you're probably like, Lord, my life is already hard enough. <laughs> I don't want to be persecuted. Maybe you're not a Jesus follower. You're just checking this out this morning. You're like, okay, wait. So you're saying if I follow Jesus, I'm going to be persecuted. I'm not sure I'm in, right? And that's fair. 
In fact, I think that sometimes, like for the sake of evangelism, we try to like fluff up the gospel to make it feel really appealing. Like, you know, a cold drink on a hot day or a really beautiful cake that you can just eat every day of the year. But the the truth is this, is that to be a follower of Jesus, there's actually a cost. Jesus said words like this, if you want to be one of my followers, you must take up your cross and follow me. And if you don't know what the cross was used for uh, in its day and in its time, it was used for crucifixion. It was used to kill criminals. Jesus saying, hey, you want to be one of my followers? Take up your cross. Follow me. And maybe you're like, I'm not sure I want that. I'm already pulling my hair out with my kids. I'm already having to put up with my boss. (laughs) I'm already stressed enough out with just the state of the world. Never mind personal persecution for following Jesus. And yet Jesus double downs on us this morning and says, listen, this is part of what it means to follow me. And if you follow me and become in sync with me, these things will begin to pop up in your life. So you're telling me that Jesus is promising persecution. Yes. Yes. He says, blessed are you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you. Yes. This is what he is saying. I remember uh, I was walking on the Shoreline Trail just, just down here, and there's, for those of you who've walked it before, you know there's this little cutout that will take you to the end of the inlet there. And uh, I was on my phone, I was talking to my mom, and I was walking out onto the, you know, the trail, and some guy starts shouting at me, hey, get off your phone! Hey, you're in nature right now. And he starts yelling at me and I'm just talking to my mom. I'm like, what is going on, right? He's like, he's like, get that technology away from me. You're getting too close to me, right? It's like, I was like, what? It was just like this really weird encounter. I, you haven't exper- I haven't experienced that a lot, right? So I'm like, mom, sorry, I gotta go, but I, I gotta talk to some guys yelling at me about technology. Uh, so I put down my phone, I start talking to him. And uh, this is actually a weird story, not really the point, but in my mind, uh, yeah, I, it, it's connected because it's kind of persecution, but um, <laughs> suddenly in my mind, it comes to my mind, I'm like, oh, this guy's a Mormon. I had no idea why that came to my mind. I said, are you a Mormon? He said, yeah, how did you know, right? And so anyways, we had this whole conversation about grace and works and the whole thing. And uh, if you're a Mormon, you're welcome here. But um, it was interesting though, right? Because I think we can take encounters that we have like that in our day-to-day and we go, yeah, see, this is what Jesus was talking about, right? This is persecution, right? But Jesus, I think when he's talking about persecution, he's not just, I think for many of us, we can put in the category of persecution a lot of things he wasn't talking about. I think that like for those of us who maybe are insensitive to others, we, and then when people get really upset at us, we're like, see, I'm being persecuted, right? Or it's like, you know, those of us who maybe uh, we, we like to stir the pot and then people get upset and they push back, uh, see, that's persecution. We can begin to actually, and then, and then there's actually moments where we start to persecute others, whether online and in person through the things we're saying and doing. And then when they come back at us, we go, see, I'm being persecuted for righteousness, I'm not sure if this is what Jesus was talking about. 
when he said these things. Because I think sometimes uh, what can happen for us is we, we can begin to think because we are like bold or because we're in people's faces or whatever it is and we receive pushback and persecution that we're actually like living in fulfillment of this beatitude. But I want to remind us this morning of something that this beatitude is not singular, but it's actually part of a grouping of sayings. And so those who are persecuted are also poor in spirit, like they recognize their need for God. And those who are persecuted are also mourners. They mourn the things of this world. Those who are persecuted are also pure in heart. Those who are persecuted are also peacemakers. Peacemakers. This is what we talked about last week. And so I want to push back against the notion because I think Sometimes in our community, we think because we're loud and proud and boisterous about the truth, and then we get pushed back, oh, I'm being persecuted. But we also need to be the other qualities. We need to live and embody the other qualities of Jesus. And it's actually when we live and embody those qualities that it leads to persecution. See, Jesus is not just saying, blessed are anybody and everybody who is persecuted for any reason. He actually makes it really clear who the blessed ones are, who are in sync for being persecuted. And he says it is for those who are being persecuted because of righteousness. Righteousness. Let let me jump to the um, definition on righteousness. Righteousness really can be three things. It's moral righteousness, it's legal righteousness, and it is social righteousness righteousness. Um, we, in kind of our North American mindset, when we think of righteousness, we, I think immediately we jump to like morality and legality, but we forget about the social, the social aspect of it. And so I want to define each, of, each one of these for us today. Um, especially because in the first century, as a Jew, when they thought of righteousness, they weren't just thinking about the first two. They were thinking of it more holistically, in fact, one of the definitions, and we shared this a couple of weeks ago when we said those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness is this other definition of right relatedness or right relationship. So Jesus says, blessed or in sync are the persecuted for being rightly related in these various different categories So he says, from a moral standpoint, being right-related entails living life in accordance with the moral principles and values, striving to make choices that are morally upright and virtues given to us by God. Legally, it implies adhering to the laws and commandments prescribed by the religious and legal traditions and involves obeying the religious laws, fulfilling religious duties, upholding legal obligations as outlined in the Torah. This would have been the Jewish mindset. But with a New Testament perspective, it is being legally declared right by God through Jesus. And now in terms of social righteousness, this is where the right relationship. So the first two are being right with ourselves. That's morally being, uh, you know, living up to the character and call that we have. Legally being right with God, being declared right with God. Now there's a social aspect to it as well. 
Social righteousness is being right-related and extends to how one interacts with others and engages with the broader society. It means treating others with fairness, compassion, justice, and actively working towards social harmony in the community's well-being. It's fulfilling the commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. You see, being rightly related encompasses a holistic approach to righteousness where moral and legal and social dimensions are interconnected. It's about living a life that reflects right alignment with God, others, ourselves, and the world around us. And so Jesus is saying this, in sync are those who are persecuted through mistreatment and discrimination and violence because of their moral, legal, and social right-relatedness. Those who, who experience this can know that theirs is the kingdom. Those who can experience this can know their reward is great in heaven. For, for Jesus' people, we become rightly related with him, ourselves, and others. We will experience persecution. You see, I've made this point before, but I think it's worth pointing out again. As followers of Jesus, we were promised persecution and not prosperity. We were promised persecution, not prosperity in this life. Look what Jesus says here. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. Unfortunately, Jesus was clear, like crystal clear in his words and his teaching that because he was disliked, if we are aligned with him, we too will not be liked. Unless we forget from our time working through, the, uh, working through and walking through the book of Acts, that real and vigorous persecution the earliest followers of Jesus faced from the religious leaders to begin with and then from the governors in the greater state, Rome. Stephen's life being taken, James' life being taken, and many of them facing imprisonment and beatings and all these kind of things. We saw this live out in the early lives of those who followed Jesus, and so why do we think we would be any different? In fact, uh, I have friends today, believers, who are experiencing intense persecution in other countries around the world where there's actually real-life implications about what it means to follow Jesus, including some of our brothers and sisters in Chiapas, which is our global partner in Mexico. It's part of why I wore this shirt today. I got it while I was down there, and it helps me to remember them and think of them. We have a video uh, we're going to play today that actually speaks to some of the persecution that some of our brothers and sisters in Mexico face for following Jesus. And we'll, we'll play that now and then we'll continue. Hey everyone, my name is Alyssa and today for our missions update, we'd like to share with you about the persecuted church in Mexico. For those of you who are unaware, CA Church has been supporting the work of local pastors such as Rogelio, Luis, or Porfirio, who have been committed to advancing the gospel in central Mexico. 
Together with their families, they have been reaching many tribes, such as the Huichol, Mexican Nero, or Quora people, all of whom who have never heard of Jesus before. In many of these tribes, animism is the predominant religion, where the worship of spirits, nature, or animals is common. The Huichol are a strong and resilient people. They survived the Spanish conquest and are very resistant to change. However, because of this, the persecution of Christians or anyone with a different belief system is common. I was the first Jesus follower. My son and I would invite others to have meals with us. Before eating, we would share the word of God. When we grew to about 80 believers, the persecution began. They put me in the middle of 1,500 people. I told them, look, I have found a God who set me free. I no longer use sorcerers for healing. Jesus is my God. I said so. They got very angry. The crowd wanted to burn me. They wanted to hang me. As Pastor Rogelio shared, in these areas there is a large risk in deciding to follow Jesus. Many new believers who commit their lives to Christ are then kicked out of their communities with little to no belongings and are barred from an already limited food source. Because of this, we as a church continue to support pastors such as Luis and Porfirio. These men are strong missionaries, often traveling far to remote places to share their faith. They are the most effective in bringing the good news to the Huichol communities, as they know intimately of the sacrifices required to live with the hope they found in Jesus. We also Persecution is still happening today, even in countries like Mexico. David Barrett says that 70 million Christians have died in the name of Jesus since the time of Christ. 70 million. Stats say that over 100,000 people die each year for their faith in Jesus to this day. Why? Well, I circle back to what I shared earlier. A servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted Jesus, so they will persecute his followers. And I think it's important to remember to that point that the one who was saying these words was persecuted himself. He was rejected by his own family and friends, his own village. He was challenged by the religious leaders of his day at every turn. He eventually was whipped and beaten, humiliated, shamed, mocked, and ultimately crucified on a cross for saying and living the way that he did. And this isn't comforting, but it's important to remember he isn't telling us to embrace anything that he himself was unwilling to do. He went through persecution for righteousness sake, for being rightly related with God and rightly related with others and rightly related to himself and the world around him. He experienced persecution because of righteousness. And it wasn't because he was a bad guy or did wrong things. No, it was primarily because he was righteous. Daryl Johnson gives us three reasons as to why people persecuted Jesus and it all had to do with his righteousness. He says Jesus was persecuted for being righteous, for doing righteous works, and for speaking righteously. For being righteous, 
Jesus made people uncomfortable because he was righteousness incarnate. For simply being so pure in heart, so good, so set apart, so different, so other than the people around him, when Jesus was with them, they didn't like it. It made them feel uncomfortable. His presence would, would set off the darkness. And the darkness sees those who are righteous and those who are light as a threat. There's the example of this found in Luke chapter 4, verse 31. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath. And there too, the people were amazed by his teaching, for he spoke with authority. And once, when he was in synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is simply there. <laughs> He's just present. And the darkness, this demon within a person, begins to cry out and asking him to leave. And you too, potentially, will experience this. Rejection for just being there. You'll experience these little uh, minor moments of, some might describe microaggressions or micro persecutions against you. Jesus and I, uh, Jesus and I, Jessica and I, <laughs> she's a great, great woman, but she, yeah, no, she's not. That was a good laugh in the middle of a serious uh, moment. It's good. Jessica and I, when we worked at uh, Rocky Point, I worked at Rocky Point Kayak, and she worked at Rocky Point Ice Cream. And uh, it's funny, like there, one of the experiences we had is the bosses would invite everyone over for staff parties, and, uh, and we, we wouldn't be invited. And it wasn't because we were preachy or teachy or, or trying to shove our faith down people's throats. It was just that us being there would make them feel uncomfortable for a number of reasons I won't express publicly. Why? For just simply being righteous. I remember having this feeling in, in high school, and me and my Christian friends would show up at the high school party, and people would make comments. You know, uh, me and my, my other Christian friend, hey, what are you guys doing here? Oh, and you know, maybe they would offer us something, maybe we'd decline. Oh, are you too good for us? these comments would kind of be made our way. And like I said, it wasn't because we were being preachy or anything like that. It wasn't because we were looking down our noses. There was something about our presence that just made people feel uncomfortable. Jesus was persecuted for just simply being righteous. And we see this happening. But he was also persecuted for, for, for just doing righteous works. You know, oftentimes the things that Jesus would do, the miracles he would do, and especially when he did them, they would set off the religious people and the religious crowds because it broke their rules and it broke their, uh, the way that they believed things should be done. Now, Jesus wasn't intentionally trying to cause trouble. Uh, he wasn't trying to set people off. 
He didn't just show up to stir the pot. In fact, it's clear that Jesus at times tried to persuade people to not tell about the righteous works that he did. He actually shied away from public spectacles and major events. But that being said, he still received much persecution for doing the righteous things that he did. Here's one example is that Jesus was often questioned and ridiculed for hanging out with the wrong crowd. Religious people often scoffed and criticized him for always inviting people to the party who shouldn't be invited. Why does Jesus spend so much time with those notorious sinners, they would say? Why does he eat with foreigners and those who are religiously different than him? Why does he make himself unclean by touching lepers and those who are sick? Jesus often got in trouble for doing righteousness, meaning he, he, he would spend time with and do righteous works to those who in that day and that time were excluded because of who they were, what they had done, their, their race, their religion, and Jesus would spend time with them. And you too will be persecuted if you spend time with those people. And the reason I say those people is because depending on what side of the political spectrum you're on, those people are different. I'm not even going to give examples because it's different for each of you. When you think of those people in your mind, oh, those people who are like this or different than me or do that. Jesus got in trouble for spending time with those people. He welcomed them. He loved them. He included them. He ate meals with them. And if you will follow in the footsteps of Jesus, what you will find yourself doing is spending time with those people. Those people that your crowd and your crew and your little enclave of worldview or thought looks down upon, you'll start to spend time with them. And if you start to spend time with them, what's going to happen is that you will start to receive pushback from those around you. Why are you spending time with those people? They'll say to you. And we saw this in Jesus' life as well. As the religious leaders looked down upon him and were quite upset with him, in fact, outraged that he would spend time with unclean Gentiles. Jesus often got in trouble for doing good works on the Sabbath, healing a, a guy's hand, him and his disciples picking grain. It's a complicated Jewish thing. You're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. And I, I actually experienced a, this a little bit in Israel. It's kind of interesting. Is that oftentimes the Jewish laws, rather than bringing people in and including them, it actually excluded and created separation from them. When I was in Israel, uh, I was trying to get on, or I got onto the elevator on Sabbath. And one of the really weird things you'll encounter in Israel on Sabbath, which is their day off, is that you 
technically, according to Jewish law, cannot press the button on the elevator to go to the floor that you want to go to. So instead, the elevator stops on every floor, okay? But then there's, there's always one elevator where if you want to just get up there quick, you can. Now, I'm standing out there, and there was a, a family that was next to me. They're clearly Jewish. And I invited them into the elevator with me. <laughs> And I offered to press the button for them to take them to their floor to save them like 10 minutes, right? And they declined. And they wouldn't even get in the elevator with me. Why? Because it would be breaking Sabbath law and it would be getting in the presence of Gentiles. You see, oftentimes Jesus faced persecution because he would break their rules and their laws. And what he found all the time was that actually their man-made rules and regulations actually pushed people away rather than bringing them close. And that was my experience on the elevator. We could have become friends. I could have found out their names and, you know, what they were doing on our very long ride up the elevator. But instead, they decided to push me away. Speaking of man-made rules that tick off religious people. What, what is with everyone's just, everyone is very clear at Old Orchard Park about where dogs can go and where they can't, right? Okay, like it's like, like I, I'm the last two times I was there, okay? The last two times I was there, I'm there with my dog, my daughter. This literally happened on Friday night and random strangers walk up to me. I just want to let you know, your dog cannot go on the playground or down on the beach, but they're allowed here and they can't go over there. Sorry, they didn't talk like that, but... Um, <laughs> Random strangers. If you're one of those random strangers, I, I'm so sorry. But it was just, it was such an odd experience for me, right? Like to just have strangers walk up to me enforcing rules that I was not breaking in case I broke them, right? This is kind of what the Pharisees were like. They were continually going around enforcing man-made rules that were not the point, and Jesus would break them and they would get very upset with, at him. And then they would begin, he would begin to face persecution. It upset them. He was disrupting their ways. And finally, Jesus was persecuted by speaking righteously. By speaking righteously. Here's some quotes. Okay, just to show how he ruffled feathers. It is very challenging for rich people to enter the kingdom of God or telling a rich man if he would like to be one of his followers, he must sell everything he has to follow him. Jesus walking up to sinners and telling them that their sins were forgiven. Jesus saying things like, I am the bread of life or I am the light of the world. Pretty unpopular statements in a pluralistic world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That definitely upset some people. He would often describe the true condition of the religious leader's heart, saying they were whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, but dead on the inside. He's just speaking the truth of the situation. But people disliked it. The point here is this, is that to be righteous sometimes verbally is controversial. Jesus always spoke the truth. What was right 
He could not lie. He could not deny when asked to speak righteously. And the same will go for you. And it might be as simple as forgiving someone or having grace for someone whom culture has deemed worthy of cancellation. It is really interesting in Alpha recently, um, we've been going through Alpha and there's a number of different testimonies of like just these really hardened criminals, like people who had done horrible things and how they found grace and forgiveness in Jesus. And it's interesting to see the diversity of reaction to some of these testimonies. Those who are followers of Jesus are like, wow, isn't that amazing? God's grace is so big that it would forgive that person and, and I forgive them too. But I, it's interesting, I notice those who, those who maybe I wouldn't identify as a follower of Jesus or those who are, are struggling uh, to be followers of Jesus, sometimes their response is, I could never forgive that person. Oh, what they did, that was so horrible, I'll, I will never forgive them. Sometimes just the expression of forgiveness, which is a, a form of speaking righteously, can upset people. I know one of Jessica's coworkers at one of her workplaces uh, even expressed one of his greatest hindrances to the gospel was the fact that God could forgive evil people. And we saw this with Jesus too. When he declared forgiveness over people, the religious leaders were losing it. You too may experience persecution for speaking righteousness. For taking a step out and speaking against something that is unrighteous. For at the family dinner, when everyone is talking about something that's totally offside and making the comment, giving value to those people that they're talking about. This is what Jesus did in his day. He spoke the gospel, the good news over people. And because of that, he was rejected. And you will be too. He experienced persecution in a very real and tangible way. And it cost him his life. And it will cost you as well. Which is why as Jesus followers sometimes we choose to withhold our righteousness because we don't like the cost that's associated with it. I like being liked, you know, like I actually do. I like being liked by people. But Jesus says, woe to you if all people speak well of you. I like, you know, I, I like being peaceable. But even Jesus said, I didn't actually come to bring peace but the sword. What? I don't want to be persecuted, if I'm honest. But I love Jesus. I want to be like him. And he says, if I'm like him, I will be persecuted. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Promise. But it's worth it, right? 
Maybe you're still making up your mind about that. If Jesus is truly who he said he was, and he really did what the scriptures declare he did, and he really does love us, and he really is the way, the truth, and life, and he really wants to know us and live within us. If all of these things are true, it's worth it, right? It's worth people laughing at you (laughs) from time to time when you share your faith or mocking you when you walk out of the room. It's worth people looking down upon you because you haven't bent the knee to the latest cultural norm. It's worth it. If he really is God, if he really did die for your sins, if he truly does love you, and if the promises of eternal life are actually true, it's worth it, right? It's worth it. But some of us, maybe we we identify with the person in the gospel stories who says, Lord, I believe, I believe, but, but help my unbelief at times. Jesus says that it is worth it. Why? He says, because theirs is the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom. Here's what he means by that. When you start to experience persecution, here's what you'll realize. That the kingdom of God has arrived in your life, in your world, in your sphere of influence. You are in the kingdom. And that means you have a, a king. And his name is Jesus. And that means that he knows you and that he loves you and that he's working in and through you. Theirs is the kingdom. But he gives a second promise and why it's worth it. He says, because the the reward in heaven will be great. He says that the reason it is all worth it is because, friends, this is not the end. This life is not it. When we breathe our last on this planet, it is just the beginning of an endless eternity in a place that is entirely good. Heaven is a real place for real people to do real things. It is heaven will come down to earth. The earth will be restored. Everything will be made new. And so the promise for the follower of Jesus, the person who is standing there and, 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 and being persecuted for the faith, Stephen, as he was about to be stoned for believing what he did, the reason he could say, no, yes, sorry, no, Jesus is Lord. Yes, I believe, is because he knew that that was actually, it was not the finish line, but it was the starting point. The starting point of life and life forever with God. Jesus says the reason we can put up with it, the reason we can face it, is because this is not the end, but there is eternal life waiting all of those who are in sync with God and his ways. Great is their reward in heaven. And so why remain steadfast in the face of persecution? 
because the face of the persecuted one awaits us, all of us, who remain faithful to the end. And he will look at you, and he will look at me, and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Enjoy your reward. And he will be our God, and we will be our, his people, and all things will be made new, and we will get to live in a, a, a life, life as it was meant to be, life to the fullest, life without pain and sorrow and suffering and hardship and disease and persecution and challenge forever. Forever. That is the promise. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band up. And we're going to transition into our communion moment where we remember and we recall what Jesus did for you and for me. How he was persecuted on our behalf so that we could face persecution of tomorrow. And so that we could know the promise of eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, this is a very challenging beatitude. Very challenging. It's hard for us to embrace this morning. None of us want to face persecution. Very few of us have the capacity to deal with it. But today I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit who is here that you would enable us, God, to pursue you and to follow you even if it means a great cost. We need your help this morning, Jesus. And so we turn to you, persecuted one, through this communion moment and we fix our eyes on you in the moment on the cross. And we ask that as we do, you would strengthen us and give us courage. That we would not have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of boldness. That you would replace our doubts with faith. And that we would trust in you and your promise. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.